Hey everyone, welcome back to the Pop Anime Comics Lounge where I have with me comic cover artist for Zenscope and the artist behind the Garv Girls and a few books on pinups, Keith Garvey, also known as Garv. So thank you for being on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. Now, I am super excited because a lot of people know you from Zenscope. And you're sort of a breath of fresh air in which you don't hide what you are in the comic world with your Garb Girls and the fact that you really do capture a lot of the beautiful parts of women with your art. Well, I'm glad you feel that way because that's what I'm all about. And before we get into that, because we're going to talk about that, I am very curious how you initially got involved in art and drawing and what really kind of started you off. I've always drawn since I was a little kid. My mother's kind of a good artist. My aunt's an artist. So we had a lot of art in the family and when I was a kid I would draw and they'd put them on the wall and they thought I was pretty good and I used to collect comic books and I would just copy the comic books and draw stuff like that and I got better and better and then one day I used to go to my aunt's house and there were no kids there and I'd be bored and they had a collection of mad magazines and I used to go get the mad magazines and I used to read those and then I realized underneath the mad magazines were playboys and as I saw that I would take the playboy put it inside the mad magazine and then I would read the playboy and then I saw Vargas inside the playboy and I was like somebody makes a living doing that and that's what I wanted to do from that on so I just started drawing women instead of drawing like Spider-Man or something like that I started drawing women and it became a thing and I actually ended up doing it and there's a lot to unpack with that because Alberto Vargas is one of the most famous pinup artists out there as his work in Playboy and he's done other work and he has his Vargas girls which are well respected. He had Vargas girls so I kind of co-opted that and I call my girls Garb girls. I'm very influenced by him. So what was that like seeing his work for the first time and also Playboy is obviously classy. It's not Hustler. It's not Penthouse. Right. And also having real woman in there as well and to reference all that. As soon as I saw Vargas I couldn't believe because I was already drawing, but when I saw that someone could draw sexy women, I thought, that's exactly what I want to do. And certainly I was influenced by Playboy itself. Most of the girls that I do are sort of the girl next door. I mean, they're really sexy, but they're sort of vulnerable. They're sort of gettable. And obviously, you're 12, 13, 14, still in your teenage years when you discovered this and became influenced by it. What did your parents think of that? And what did your fellow, I guess, (laughs) classmates and art teachers all think about this venture? My art teachers didn't know about it, but my friends knew. My friends loved it. My mother, she didn't mind that I drew naked or semi-naked women. They were fine with that. She used to say to me, you're never going to be able to make a living doing this, so you better think about what you want to do for a living. And I really wanted to do that. I wanted to be an artist of some sort, but if I could do that, that would be the ideal thing. And also, I collected comic books, and I used to draw Spider-Man and Daredevil and the Hulk and those kind of things, too, on the side. And it just developed, and then I went to art school. So, you know, from there, after I got out of art school... There was no place to go with what I did. I wasn't making any money doing anything like that. I would do it for myself and show people I knew. And then somebody gave me a copy of Photoshop. And I thought, oh my God, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And I sort of learned it on my own. I used to scan in my drawings and then paint them using Photoshop. And it just opened everything up. I put it online and people started to look at it. And it was sort of different from everybody else's. And it started getting a lot of attention. And from there on, people asked me to do a book. People asked me to do covers. So it just kept growing. And let's start talking about your covers, because you worked on a lot of covers, and my Spanish is very bad. So if I say this (laughs) wrong, they're portadas, which are covers for Comics Kiss Comics, which is erotica-type comics. They were one of the first ones who asked me to do covers. 
because my stuff is pretty sexy and that's what they do. And their covers basically have nothing to do with what's inside the magazine, not like a comic book. So they just want a sexy pinup on the cover. So they used to ask me to do a lot of them. My girls just sort of fit what they were doing. And so what was that like being that these covers are very much comic-esque? They are the girl next door. They are very sexy. They are meant for adults. This interview is an adult interview. Fair warning. <laughs> well, it was perfect for me. It was a perfect fit. And they used to send me like three or four copies of the thing. And I just started reading it. So I really kind of blown away at how actually explicit that magazine is. You know, it was just fun. It just fit well. And obviously covers make or break a comic where there are up to this point in 2019, 1,800 to 2,000 comics that come out every month. Might be a little bit less right now, but given that they sent you a few copies, how did you really capture what they were looking? Because it is a selling point to some degree. Well, as far as Kiss Comics goes, they didn't have a specific thing that they wanted. They went through and they saw a bunch of my girls that I had already created. And they said, can we use this one and can we use that one? So I didn't have to create anything new for them. They just used what I had already created because they liked them. And what is that like for you that you've already created something and I'm presuming you weren't making money off of it and then to be able to make money off of it like that? Right. I would make a little bit of money here and there, but it was great. You know, like finally someone was noticing it and it was getting some attention and I could actually start to make somewhat of a living doing it. You know, it was very exciting. It was fulfilling. And I could tell my mother, see mom, you can make a living doing it. And with Kiss Comics and French Kiss Comics and Penthouse Comics, you did a few covers for, how did you go about making each of these covers different? Because you did about 80 to 100, somewhere in that range of these covers. Well, like I said, I didn't have to make something specific for them. I had created all this work and I was displaying it. I had a website. I was on all the social networks and stuff. And they saw it and they said, we want this specific one. We would really love to use this one or we'd really love to use that one. And I just sent them really high quality versions of them and they just sort of did it on their own then. It wasn't until later that a few people wanted me to make them something specific for them and they would have a description of what they wanted. And then I would come up something for them. And obviously, Comics Kiss Comics ended in 2011, and Comics yep. Kiss Comics had, I think, 240 issues, somewhere in that range. And part of the reason why they ended is pirating, illegal downloading, the internet kind of ruined them. And you are a digital uh -huh. artist in many ways. You work on prints and a lot of covers, and you do a lot of Photoshop. You have your Garb Girls, which were pretty much most of those covers, from my understanding, how do you adjust to protecting your work? Because you are a digital artist and that has changed, especially going into 2019 from 2000. Yeah, it's really, really hard. The truth is that you're ripped off all the time. The only thing I display online are low resolution and I try to put like a watermark on it. But people take those off and they're pretty good with Photoshop themselves and they clean them up and they make them better and they use them. And it's really, really hard and I don't have a solution for that except for I try to track them down and then tell them, you know, they can't do it. But it happens a lot, especially these bootleg things that happen in Europe and stuff and they take them and use them. And it's not like they're probably making a lot of money off of them, but I think it's almost impossible to stop them. And with Comics Kiss Comics, that ended in 2011, and you didn't return to comics, at least in the mainstream, until 2016 with Zenscope. And we're going to talk about Garve Girls in a little bit, but I do want to talk about Zenscope, because sure. that's how a lot of people know your artwork. That's how I know your artwork, and there's a whole plethora of fans who know you just for that. So how did you become involved with them? Yeah, Zenoscope really did open up a whole new set of people, people who didn't see my work before. 
They saw my work somewhere online. I don't know exactly where. And they sent me an email and asked me if I wanted to do a cover for them. Elias Tautis works for them. Early on, he liked my work and he was impressed by it. And he sort of wanted to be an artist too. This is years ago. And he went on to be very good and he was working for them. So I don't know if they may be connected to two of us or he said something or whatever, but they somehow found out about me, saw my work and asked me if I wanted to do a cover. So I did one for them and they really, really liked it. I think they got a good response from it. And since then, they've been just feeding me a lot of work and you know, I couldn't be more excited about it. I love doing it. And let's talk about that first cover. And I think it was Hell Child, the Unholy, issue two, cover C. What was that like being at your first cover with them? Were you nervous? Did you have free parameters? How did that all be planned out? Well, they had sort of a basic idea of what they wanted. And I had a lot of freedom, but I had to be similar to what they wanted. And I'm familiar with comics. I wasn't real familiar with Zenoscope at the time, but I had seen their stuff. And I had collected comics, and I was sort of aware of, of the basics of how they look and stuff. But they didn't really want me to make it comic book. They wanted a Garve Girl version of it. So that made it easier for me. And then, you know, I did like a bunch of sketches for them. And they picked one of the sketches, and I painted it up, and they really liked it. I wasn't nervous about it. I just wanted to make sure it came out nice. And continue to speak about that. Is that how you approach all your covers with Zenscope, or have they laxed in trusting you? Because you've done over 60 covers for them up to now. I'm going to talk about a few of them, but I'm very curious. I do a lot of the more promotional covers for them, sort of like the second or third version. A lot of them are for when they go to conventions and stuff, they'll be very specific to whatever city they're in. So they give me a lot of freedom. They basically say, we'd like to see a pinup of this character. And sometimes they'll have some specifics about it. They give me a lot of freedom with it, as long as like they treat the character and what they want. Then I can just whip out some ideas, some thumbnails for them to look at. And then they'll sort of craft it from there. They'll say, we really like this, but maybe you should try this. And then I'll finally come up with a sketch they really like, and then I paint it up. Given all that, I think it's appropriate we start talking about some of your covers for them. And I want to talk about your first uh-huh. exclusive, which was the Red Agent, the Human Order, which was the New Year's version, which has got a very Garve girl feel to it. She has the dress on. Uh, Red Agent Red riding her with a sparkle dress New Year's Eve. Yes. Yeah, that was fun. That's just basically me doing a Garb Girl. That's right up my alley right there. I think there was a second version of that, what they call Patch, that it was just lingerie. What is that like? Because you've done a bunch of things where Zenscope has a nice cover, they have a naughty cover, they have an X cover, they have a rated Z cover, and all those differ in price. And you've done that for San Diego Comic-Con in 2017. You did one for New York Comic-Con Oktoberfest. Also in 2017, you did one for MCM in London. And those were nudes and getting into that field. What is that like to kind of go back to that promiscuous comic kiss comics Garb Girl style and having free reign in that realm. It's great because it's really going back to what I do. It's going back to my roots. It's fun to sort of take that to the comic genre and have a whole bunch of new people see it. And it also applies to what they're doing. They're very sexy. So it's a lot of fun. It's nice to have sort of a spin on what I normally do. After a while, I've created a lot of pinups. And after a while, you're sort of doing the same pinup over again. You know, it's just sort of the same pose. You know, I feel like sometimes I've done this before, but when they give me something specific to do. It's a lot of fun because now it's different. And even though it's still the same, it's still a Garve girl and it's still pretty sexy. They're giving me something specific to do. It's a character of theirs and it makes it really interesting for me 
And with these, because obviously you've done regular covers and you've done a lot of those, and then when you get the go-ahead with an X-rated or a naughty or a nice, how does that hit you? When do you know that there's going to be a nice version of it, a naughty version, and how does that affect you with your planning of the comic? Because clearly with a nice version and a naughty version, you get more freedom. And it's a little bit harder, too, because if she has, like, a dress on, for example, and then they want, like, a lingerie version, well, I have to create it so it's the same. So it's the same image, but no dress on her. So it's a little bit more difficult. I mean, it's Photoshop and stuff like that. You can do it in layers, and then you can do it right over the top of it. But it's still tricky. If she doesn't have a bra on, for example, to get a little bit specific, her boobs are going to be in a different position than they are if she has, like, a bra on. So it changes it all. So you have to make sure you do it right so it looks like she has a bra on, and it's not just the same picture with some kind of layer over the top of it. You know what I mean? It takes more planning and I have to think about both images. While I'm creating the main image, I have to think, okay, she's also going to have a dress on. So I have to like work them both together. And is that the same process when you have a naughty, nice and X rated or Z rated cover as well? If they want two versions or three versions of it, yeah, I have to think all three at the same time. But if it's just straight, no, then I could do it straight. But yeah, anytime there's a change in it, I want to keep the integrity of the same picture. So I have to think each layer as I'm working, how does this going to work and how is it going to fit in and how is it going to change as I go along? And obviously, and I don't know the answer to this question, and that's why I'm asking, do you draw more digitally or do you sketch it and then scan it in to develop these covers? And how is that process from a technical side? I do sketches to get an idea. I'll use a lot of reference. I'll look up stuff and what I'm going to need. And then I'll sort of use this reference material to come up with a little Frankenstein of what I want the picture to look like. And then I'll do like a sketch. And I'll scan that in and then I'll paint it. But lately, I can pretty much draw with Photoshop. But I need a basic structure to work on. So I will sketch out to get it right. And then once you get it in Photoshop, I can change it. So if the perspective's off or something like that, I can change it a lot while I'm in there and make it accurate. So I've gotten so much better at it that I don't have to sketch as much as I used to, which is really a bad thing because I should sketch more. And I do want to talk a little bit about Photoshop because one of the common myths that I think is still perceived is that Photoshop is easy. And one of the things is coloring because you color your own covers and you paint your own covers. And how do you go about finding the right tones and colors and making sure that it pops in the right places and the eye color is good and the background is the right color and her skin tone is the right color because that seems like it would be easy but i would imagine it would be difficult the good thing about it is you can alter it so much you can play with it you can change colors so you can get rid of it and you'll have your original look there so there's a lot you can do it's not easy and it takes a lot of experience to do it but the easy part about photoshop is that you don't have to mix any paints you don't have to worry about pencils and papers you don't have an overhead when it comes to that kind of thing and i don't have to like try to mix paint that is the perfect color i can keep doing it on there and just keep trying it and I can change the color. So in that sense, it is easier. But it's a skill all its own. It's a technique all its own. You could take someone who paints and give them Photoshop and teach them how to use it. That doesn't mean they're going to be able to do it well. I think it's a skill all its own. But I think it gives you a lot of ability to change things and see how it looks before you decide that's exactly how I want it. And given that you can change things, how many changes do you make and how much playing around do you do with colors and playing around with it and enhancing or de-enhancing, for lack of a better word? That's the whole thing. I think that I do a lot of that. I will sometimes have the image that I really like. So I have the image of the girl and she's perfect. She's the way I want it to be. 
Then I start working on a background and maybe this background has a blue tint to it or something like that. And then it's behind the girl just doesn't look right. She doesn't have any blue in her. So then I have to go back in and maybe if I like that background, then I got to go back in and work on her and give her like this sort of reflective light, which is in our terms, it's like a secondary light that may hit the side of a person or a side of thing that is in color, like blue. If the background's blue, there'll be a reflective light on the girl in front. She'll have some blue in her. And so I'll have to go back in and paint like a blue sort of reflective light that follows her body or sometimes I'll have to accent it so you can see it better or something like that. So it could change the image depending on what the background is. I may love the image the way it is, but that's sitting on a white background. If it's in the dark or if it's very bright color on one side, then you have to change it appropriately. This is fascinating because I don't know anything about art. If you look at somebody, they'll have like a main light that's in the room hitting them. But if the wall on the right side of them is green, they're going to have a reflective light on the right side of them that's green. But if you don't put that green there, when you paint it, it's missing something. If you put it there, it comes to life. And I want to back out of the technical aspects and talk more about covers. And as I mentioned, and you mentioned, you do a lot of convention slash promotional slash city related covers. And we already mentioned right. New York Comic Con, MCM, San Diego Comic Con. And you have done Black mm-hmm. Sable for Dallas Fan Expo, where you did two covers. You've done a Robin Hood cover, The Curse for Licensing Expo, Robin Hood Outlaw for Denver Comic Con, the cosplay exclusive mm-hmm. Gretel for Boston Comic Con, and a few other for Wizard World in Chicago and Philly, and I'm always amazed by Zenscope artists, and we mentioned Chazus, and there's others, and how you guys always incorporate things into the city. You also did a U.S. Revolutionary Soldier slash Minuteman for Awesome Con from this year, and I'm always amazed by how you as artists incorporate that into it. So how do you get your guidance for that, and where do you get your inspiration, and how do you do your research? Because obviously you're based in New York. Well, Zenscope will tell me what they want. They wanted a revolutionary girl, someone like Hamilton on the cover, and then they give me the character. And then I'll go research it. I'll go look up everything I can find. How does Hamilton really look? And then try to find some version of it that I can see it really well. And it's really accurate. And then I'll just sort of adapt it to the character. So I'll make it sexy. But I want it to be genuine. I want it to look real. And then I just put her in a setting that looked appropriate for Hamilton. It was a really fun cover to do because it was sort of a close-up. It's really fun for them to give me like, okay, a project. Like, we'd like to look like Hamilton. It's like she's doing cosplay. And so it's really fun to sort of research it and try to make it work. And do you enjoy that as a challenge, as an artist? Absolutely, yeah. Like I was saying, sometimes when I'm creating something, it feels like I've done this a lot of times. It's sort of Groundhog Day. But when it comes to them, they're giving me a project to do. So I got to do some research. I got to figure out some stuff. And it makes it a lot of fun. And it's a little bit different from what I normally do. So it's refreshing. And another book I want to talk about, and it's my favorite cover from this year that you've done, and it's the Black Knight number five from Emerald City Comic Con, making fun of Starbucks, and I love my Starbucks coffee. So (laughs) what was that like? Because for those who don't know, Seattle is kind of the coffee capital of America. Dunkin' Donuts is there, Seattle's best coffee. Starbucks started in Seattle, from my understanding, or at least their headquarters, I believe, is there. So what was it like making this comic and the roast behind it? That's like I said, it's not just another girl that I'm painting. They were giving me something specific. We want a barista. And so I went and looked up what they look like. And I was just had to figure out how to adapt 
what a barista really looks like and make her look like their character and also make it so she's sexy and put her in the setting. And so I looked up a whole bunch of stuff and I wanted it to look like sort of a small coffee shop. I didn't want it to look like, you know, a big place. I wanted to look like a small coffee shop with this very sexy barista. And so I looked up a lot of stuff and I sort of made up my own little corner there and put her in it. A lot of people really love that one. And what is that like for you that a lot of people love it? Because obviously it captures... Starbucks. I'm not going to pretend <laughs> that it doesn't. Well, clearly, you know, it does. And it's fun to try to make that. It's a challenge. And it's fun when it works out really well. And that one really did. So when people really like it, that's everything. That's the inspiration for the next one. You know, as a commercial artist, you want people to love what you do. You know what I mean? Like if you're just like an artist who just paints stuff, you probably don't care. It's like, this is for me. But a commercial artist wants everybody to love what you're doing. And that's what I am. And I want everybody to love it. So when people like it, that's just inspiration for the next one. And speaking about the next one, and this is going a little bit into the higher tiers of Zenscope. And for those who don't know, there's VIP Zenscope, there's Ultra VIP Zenscope, there's Gold Zenscope, there's all these VIP events. And you've done a bunch of VIP exclusives that have 75 covers or 150 covers or 100 limited edition covers. What is that like to really get into that and have that honor of doing extremely limited covers for Zenscope and for fans? Originally, I didn't know that's how it was going to go. They didn't say to me, this is going to be just a limited cover. They just asked me to do it. So I did it. If my art is appropriate for that kind of thing, then I'm super excited about it because that sort of makes it a little bit more exclusive, a little bit nicer. And I'm excited. I'm happy about it. And the other thing that I want to talk about was Zenscope. And I know we're missing a few here, but you got to do a bunch of showcase edition books. And those books are limited to 75 copies. You just had one that just came out, Van Helsing, Sword of Heaven, number six. The showcase edition, there's only 75 copies, and that's very rare, and it's a nicer quality book. It's printed on better paper, and you have quite a few of these showcase comics out there. What is that like? Because that's also in that tier, and it's similar to VIP exclusives. Like I said, I don't necessarily know that that's going to be the way it is before I do the image. I think sometimes they decide that later. They go, this is really nice. This would be perfect for an exclusive or this kind of thing or a semi-exclusive thing. So when I find out about it and I see them later, I'm really excited about it. I guess the kind of work that I'm doing is appropriate for that kind of thing. You know, they feel that's the best for that. And I like it, but it doesn't matter to me. They give me work to do. It doesn't matter if it's a non-exclusive. It doesn't matter to me. They're all going to be done the same way. So I'm just excited that they feel that way about them. And being that you're a commercial artist and a lot of the covers you do are limited, convention exclusives are either 500 copies, 350 copies, 250, and then it goes all the way down to about 75, 50 range for you. How does that make you feel that you're comics to some degree are exclusive and that they're not mass produced as far as exclusives go. I mean, I'm happy about it. I think that they feel special about them and that's why they're doing that. So I'm happy about that. Other than that, the more people that see my work, the more happy I am. So either way, it's great for me as long as there's exposure. But I feel really honored sort of that they feel that way about them. They're sort of special to them, I guess. So I feel great about that. I take the exact opposite approach. I love the fact that it's limited. I love it. No well, offense to your it's artwork. not that I don't mind it. I mean, I don't mind either way. It's just I feel honored that they feel that way. And I guess the limited thing is pretty cool. So I feel good about it. I like the fact that not everybody can have it. I get it. Like I have, and not to try to plug my book, but... Oh, no, we're going to plug out. your book. We're going to plug your book in a little bit. No, this relates to what we're talking about. There's not many left. And there's only a few that are signed. 
And those, I charge more for those. I'm not selling them myself. They're being sold through a third party, but I signed maybe a hundred of them. I didn't number them or anything like that, but that's all there's going to be. So I think that's kind of cool that there's only going to be about a hundred of these signed books out there. So if people have one, it's kind of special. And to continue talking about this, and before we shift to Garve Girls, the question I'm going to ask, you're going to have a lot to say about it. I have a feeling, but we've been speaking about covers and cover art and covers do sell comics. And I hope you keep it short because what makes a good cover good? Wow, that's a tough question. Well, I think it's got to be striking. It's got to pop. It's got to stand out. It's got to catch your eye. You want me to keep it short, I would say that. I think there's a lot to it. Something that when you're scanning the comics, that one pops. And now we're going to leave Zenscope there, and we're going to shift to talk about Garve Girls. As you have done over a hundred, you probably have done hundreds of them at this point. And I believe you have three books out there. Four books. You have four books. I stand corrected. You have four books out there. And we're going to talk about them all. We're going to talk about them all because obviously you have the online component to Garve Girls. You have the books. How did all of this start with Garve Girls and how did it lead into the books? So I was just creating girls and I learned how to do it, like I was saying before, and I was just creating them and I was putting them online wherever I could. Anywhere anybody would want to display them, I would just give them out and I would just let people display them on their websites or wherever. And it started to sort of get a cult following. And then after a while, I had a lot and some people started to notice it and I had a manager for a little while and my manager thought it would be a good idea to put out a book. So we put out a book, Garve Girls Volume 1, and it was sort of all my early stuff. It's just very simple, just picture with maybe a comment or something. I wrote a couple of paragraphs about myself and stuff in it, but that was pretty much it. And then that came out and it did very well. And then a couple of years later, we did another one, Volume 2, and that did very well. But then me and my manager sort of had a fallout and I didn't want a manager anymore. So I wasn't with him anymore. And then SOP Books, you've heard of them? I'm familiar. They do pinups and fantasy art stuff. And they contacted me and they wanted to put out a book and they put out Guilty Pleasures, which is my third book. It's really high quality paper. It's a small book, but it's a really nice quality. And I did two with them. I did Guilty Pleasures a few years ago, and then I just did Sweet Things last year or the year before. So that's how it went. They contacted me after they saw my stuff. And I had so much work, like you said, that they could just choose through it and we could go over what looked best and what I wanted to put in there. And people liked it. So we did two of them. So that was awesome. And I want to talk about some of your work and then we're going to get into the books a little bit more because your pinups, there is something for everybody within your pinups <laughs> and your Garf girls, whether you like girls in bikinis, rock and roll, the motorcycle girls, which remind me of David Mann. I don't know if you're familiar with David Mann. And history girls, sure. punk rock chicks, and everything else yep. that a boy can think of, as you stated. The Girl Next Door, you got a bunch of that stuff in there as well. And where do all the inspirations come for these girls and all those different styles? Because that's a spectrum, to say the least. Right. The inspiration is a difficult form. I think it's there. You know, I just like doing it. Each one, like I was saying before, you don't want to do one that's just like the other. I try to expand on it and give them something unique in a genre. Maybe she's a construction worker or a police officer or something like that. And people like that. They can use them in a lot of different ways. You know, I've had had people put them on golf balls. And one of my girls is on, these police officers had a big golf tournament. And they put one of my girls on their golf ball. It was a little cop girl. And they put it on all their golf balls. So I try to think of different ways to display the girls. It makes it more fun, too. And traditionally, pinups have been sort of like that. They've been cowgirls and cheerleaders and sort of traditional to do it. 
And speaking about traditional pinups, there is a traditional style and there are rules to that genre, but you have also injected modern touches and you have a softer touch as well as a harder touch and colors and you've taken some stylistic liberties to really expand, in my opinion, on what the genre can be. How did you go about really building out this style and developing it? I definitely was influenced by Vargas and Elvgren and these guys and Hajimi Soriyama, the Japanese pinup artist. And I wanted to do something just like them. And then once I learned what I was doing, I had my own style. It sort of just developed that way. I think one of the things was no one ever taught me how to use Photoshop. Like I never had someone properly teach me how to use it. Someone just gave it to me. So I learned how to use it on my own. So because I learned how to use it on my own, I think I ended up doing it differently from everybody else. And then my girls sort of looked different. I sort of used a traditional style of painting, but I was using Photoshop. So the girls sort of came out differently and they sort of unique to what I do. And obviously this unique style paid off for you. There are four books that you have, and I'm not familiar with the first two. And I'm going to say that up front, but I have seen pieces of Guilty Pleasures and Sweet Thing, which is The Girl Next Door for you. So let's talk a little bit about both those books because they have different vibes to them. As I stated, Guilty Pleasures is more, in my opinion, sensual and beautiful in a different way than Sweet Things, which is eye candy to me to put it nicely i think you're actually absolutely right that's exactly what we were going for and because i have a lot of girls like that i think that's my thing those two sides of my girls so the people who put the book together with me sort of had this idea so we went through all my stuff and we kind of crafted it that way so that the books would have a feel and you're right you're the first person who actually brought it up to me that you noticed it that that's exactly right about it that we wanted it to be that way and i had enough work in both of those styles, in both of those genres that we were able to put two together. And I'm about to ask a controversial question because in today's world, Me Too is existing. I don't prescribe per se to the theory of that. And I think that drawing beautiful women is perfectly acceptable. I think there's a place for it in art. How do you feel the fact that there is a bit of a pushback on that? And have you experienced any negativity towards you? Because what I think you do is awesome and I love it. And I think it's respectful and I think it's actually very classy in many ways. Yeah, it's funny you ask that question. I have a lot of female fans. Women like my work. There's actually this thing called tubes, which is just a layer of one of my girls. And women, I say women because it's mostly women who do it. They buy them from me for like two bucks a piece and they make their own little pictures out of them. These girls sort of represent them sort of like an avatar and they love them. They think my girls are great. I've never had one person push back on them and say they were sexist or anything like that. And I kind of like to think that my girls are sort of classy. I don't think that they're trashy or disrespectful of women. I think they're empowering to women. I think each one of these women, they're fictional, of course, but I always feel like these girls are beautiful and classy as well as sexy. And I think that is a perfect place to end as far as Garve Girls goes. But we have okay. also been talking about pinups and pinups historically have been used in war. And you mentioned on golf balls and other entities in general and pinups are well respected in America because it's an American thing, first and foremost. So what makes a good pinup girl for you slash good pinup model? 
as you've done hundreds of these up to this point? For Cardiff Girls, it's always the look, the face. For me, it's always been about that look they're giving, what expression they have, how beautiful they are, how their hair is sort of classically sexy look that they have. To me, that makes it. But also in their body position. So what are you trying to go for? Am I trying to make her cute? Am I trying to make her sultry? And I think that's the body line, which is the curve of the body. Body line is really important. And for me, it's all about that look, the face, the detail, the beauty. So it's shape and it's the look. And building off of that, we've been speaking for about 40 minutes up to this point, and you've been involved in several art projects, whether that be comic covers or art books or pinup projects or some graphic design work. What advice do you have for people who want to get involved in creating comics or covers or doing their own artwork and putting it out there? I get asked that a lot, actually. People write me all the time. I don't have a really good answer for that, except for to say, hone your craft, get as good as you could possibly get at it. You know, you don't have to make money right away. Put it out there. Let people see it. Let people have it. Make a lot of it. Do it really well. And then put it out there. Put it on every social media thing there is. And anybody who wants to display it on their website or put it in their magazine, let them have it. Get it out there. And once you get it out there and establish a little bit, people get to recognize who you are. Then you can start to say, okay, I want to make a living at this or something like that, or I want to charge for it. Other than that, I would say exposure, exposure, exposure. And the other thing is a lot of people, they're not ready. I would say, get your craft down before you do it. Get it really tight. And people, they should know when it's good. That's sort of critical, but it's true. And finally, after that wonderful advice, do you have anything you'd like to promote? Facebook, Instagram, website, Twitter, merchandise, deviant art, books, comics that are coming out with Zenscope? Keep following Zenoscope. I'm working on stuff. I don't want to talk about it, but you'll see it. So just keep checking out Zenoscope and look up the Garv covers and you'll see there'll be more coming. You can check out my website, which is garvgraphics.com. It's sort of frozen. I had a little problem with it, but there's a lot of my work there you can see. If anybody ever wants to buy a print, pretty much any pinup I have, you can go to escapecollectibles.com and look up my name and they'll have signed prints and they'll have unsigned prints and they have my book there too. So you can get that there. There's a place that makes skins for like everything. Like if you want a skin on your computer, or on your skateboard or on your phone. They make skins for all these things and they have my girls too. So it's garvgraphics.uskins.com and they have a lot of really cool stuff there to check out. And on Facebook, look up Keith Garvey or Garv Graphics and you'll find me there. And on Twitter, same deal. And DeviantArt, I'm Garv23 just because I couldn't put the other stuff in. So it's Garv23 on DeviantArt and from there they'll find everything that I do. And what are the names of your books, just so people can look them up as well? Well, a couple of them are pretty old. You might be able to find them. Some might be selling them. But there's The Art of Keith Garvey, Volume 1 and 2. They're pretty old, but you might be able to find them. And then there's Guilty Pleasures and Sweet Things. Those two you'll be able to find probably easier. If you want a signed version, you have to go to escapecollectibles.com, and they'll have a signed version of that book. As always, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the podcast, and we can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitch Radio, and anywhere else where you listen to your podcasts. And while you wait for next week's episode, you can definitely check us out at popanimecomics.com for articles relating to anime, comics, and pop culture, as well as give us a follow on Twitter at popanimecomics. Check out our Facebook page, Pop Anime Comics. Check out my Instagram, Pop Anime Comics. I have a pro wrestling t-shirt shop. That's popanimecomics.com. On ProWrestlingTees.com, so please buy my shirt. It's an elf holding a steel chair, and she gets very upset when people don't buy my shirt, and she will come to your house and hit you with that chair if you don't buy it until you do. So please buy the shirt if you do not want to be injured. And until next week, everybody, have a wonderful week.